Welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. My name is Warren Williams, and today I'm joined by Tina Dare, ministry intern. Hey, hey. And AC, ministry intern as well. What's good? All right. So if you've been following along in the True Story Project, um, you know, I, I know we're getting towards the end of the Old Testament, and we've really had the uh, opportunity to go through, um, you know, the different... Uh, uh, books and uh, uh, literary that just, you know, gives us the full story um, of the true story of the world. And um, today we'll be approaching Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Um, This book, really rich with a lot of imagery, right? Um, A lot of things that can be can be confusing at first, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of graphic language, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of uh, symbolic action, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, as, as we dip in Ezekiel, I'm hoping that through this podcast that we can help to clarify some of those things. Um, and, you know, some of the things are just going to seem completely strange in our context. But we understand that, you know, these actions were commanded by God. So it wasn't just a, Ezekiel just wasn't some eccentric guy. Right. So, uh, you know, just thinking of the culture that we're in today. Right. You go on Facebook. Right. You go through, you know, you're, maybe you're you're scrolling. You're guilty of. You know, thumbing through vid- videos or thumbing through your your news feed and seeing some strange videos, um, and you know, if, if Ezekiel was alive today, right? We talked about his symbolic prophetic actions. What do you think, or which one of his actions do you think would go viral today? And I'll start it off with you, Tina. I mean, I thought about this and I tried to make a case for other ones, but it's gotta be him laying on his side. Man, that's what I was gonna say. I yeah, mean, it's gotta yeah. be like right. The man lays on his side for 14 months right. and is literally cooking food off of cow dung. Cow dung, right? And like tied down. Like it's there's just no other. That'd yeah. be on world star hip hop, right? Seriously, like I see like Ezekiel watch day hundred a day a hundred. You know what I mean? Constant live stream. And, you know, people probably running up to him, taking selfies, you know, yes. wanting a piece of the action. Yes. Uh, what do you think, AC? I think uh, day one of him laying on his side, cooking with poop. Yeah. I think he would have got the crying Jordan on his face. <laughs> yeah, we'd have been asking him, if he's, is this guy crazy? Has he lost his mind? Uh, there'll be whole uh, articles dedicated to analyzing his action. And, um, you know, he'd probably become a cultural you know, phenomena, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I would definitely go with the same thing. Um, but, you know, just kind of stepping back and uh, uh, trying to get like a greater understanding of, of Ezekiel and where we are within the true story. Hey, see, can you tell us kind of like where does Ezekiel fit in to the true story? Yeah, so when you think of the Bible as a whole, again, it starts with God creating the world and everything is good, good, all good. The mm-hmm. fall happens. And it encompasses all of creation. So God starts a mission, Genesis 12, to redeem all of creation. It chooses Abraham through Abraham, uh, grows into a nation. This nation is given liberty, the land, and the law. Um, But as we see with these prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel is that Israel failed in their calling to be the light to the nations. Um, They were supposed to live in such a way that the rest of the world would look at them and say, that's who the true God is. Um, So what the prophets are doing, the function of prophetic literature in the Bible is to remind Israel of what it meant to be Israel. Know who you are. I think of like Lion King when Mm. Mufasa appears in the sky to Simba and he's like, remember who you are. That's a big one. You know, so uh, people didn't listen. 
to the prophets. And so Ezekiel comes and he's like, all right, judgment is coming. So Ezekiel is the story of their judgment, their exile. Um, and it's a really big shift. Like we talked about last time with Jeremiah, it's a big shift in the story that goes from a focus on the present, on how do I live in the land in such a way that I fulfill the law. And it goes from that to being, wait, now we're in exile. Now judgment has come, like fierce, brutal judgment has come upon us. What does that mean for us as God's people, as as God's chosen people to bring blessing to all nations? Now that we're a minority culture in a pagan-dominated society, what does that mean for us? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's definitely seen throughout the book. And, you know, we see, you know, Ezekiel giving, uh, you know, or, or God speaking through Ezekiel and just seeing the seriousness of uh, the sin of Israel. So, Tina, what would what would you say is the overall message of the book of Ezekiel? I know AC's kind of touched on it, but like, what do you think is the is the, the message that we get in Ezekiel? Yeah, I think it comes at a really interesting time because you we just finished Jeremiah and Lamentations and there's there's a little bit of crossover in time period mm-hmm. here, but Jeremiah is a little older than Ezekiel. Right. So we see the first vision that Ezekiel gets is five years into that exile. So we read the letter of the exiles in Jeremiah 29. So these the people that were chosen and pulled out of um, Jerusalem, that was the first attack against Jerusalem, but there were still, as anyone who went to First Wednesday and heard about Lamentations, oh, great. there yeah. were men, women, yeah. and children that were left in the land and the people that were plucked out were mm. all of the priests and kings and prophets and all the people that were big culture makers, able-bodied men, kind of the leaders, and they were pulled into exile. Right. So that was that was like number phase one of the judgment against Jerusalem. And what we see here is God comes to Ezekiel five years into essentially um, the Bible Project videos describes it as outside the Israel the um, Israeli uh, refugee camp. Okay. He's sitting there, and God comes to him and brings this vision. And it's a vision that reminds us of the tabernacle. So it's it's this picture of the glory of God and wow. Ezekiel sitting there like, what you're supposed to be in Jerusalem. Like you, you the presence of God is in the temple in Jerusalem. Right. And it's this first initial expression of the final judgment coming against Jerusalem where the temple is going to be destroyed and ransacked and the people are going to be um, destroyed and and ravished there too and so it's this kind of second judgment happening so we're between these two and what's so devastating about this is the message of this book is god is still speaking his truth after this judgment has already happened and people still aren't listening right and so it, it is this expression of i almost imagine it as this god's desperate attempt to get his people's attention again and again but showing that no matter how far he goes the people aren't their heart their hearts are just hard and they're not gonna hear and so we see these extravagant like crazy prophetic acts and it's showing and revealing how it's so clear that israel needs new hearts so it's pointing to this this tension of the total depravity that's being kind of experienced and expressed um, aside from ezekiel and some other select people like jeremiah and then but at the same time it's showing that we we are in desperate need of this hope coming in the future and it points us towards god's future faithfulness of restoration towards giving his people a new heart and a new spirit yeah that's great and uh just i don't want to get too sidetracked but i i did love that you you know brought up first wednesday that was a really great first wednesday and um regret that we there were some audio issues that you know disallow disallow us from uh or from posting it online but um yeah so you know god has chosen his 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 people right and uh, you know he chose them to be a distinct 
light to the nations, right? But their hearts are hardened. They obey idols. Uh, you know, they disobey God. And, you know, God now is bringing about judgment. But at the same time, you know, God doesn't leave us there, right? Like you said, like, regardless of, uh, 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 you know, how hardened you are, God is still trying to speak through to his, through to his people. So this needs to be fully restored, right? So how does, like, how does Ezekiel point to Christ who will bring that full restoration? Yeah, I mean, you look at... Um you look at passages in Ezekiel where it talks about gathering the law, the scattered sheep, you know, and um, the Israelites in exile had this hope that even though we're scattered among the nations and we don't have a land, we don't have a temple anymore. God's presence has left the temple. The temple's been destroyed. The city's been destroyed. God's not finished with us and he's going to um, deliver us out of oppression like he did in the exodus but they anticipated that in a way that jesus kind of flipped those expectations mm. you know jesus came and um he gathered the scattered israel to himself right in the gospels by drawing the disciples to himself and you see that um by he by choosing 12 disciples right and he, and he even says that they're going to judge the tribes of Israel so it's like this it's this symbolic prophetic action of I am gathering Israel back to myself and we're, we're I'm giving you my spirit right to empower you to do what you couldn't do before and you see that in the book of Acts with Pentecost when the spirit is poured down upon the church and a lot of people say you know it's it's when the church was born and this and that and you know I agree with that but um, there's also this sense of like following the biblical timeline, the story mm -hmm. of Israel being scattered and Jesus gathering them back and then sending them. And he says in John, as the father has sent me, so I send you. And so, you know, Ezekiel points forward to a time of restoration and Christ is that restoration. And then we too, pointing even forward, you know, we're carrying on the mission of Israel now. But instead of us living in one land and all the nations coming to us, we're going into all the world. Yeah, that's that's good, and you know sometimes, uh, uh, you know you don't want to get too caught up in the numerology or n symbolic of the numbers. But yeah, in this case, you know the, the we see the symbolic action of uh, Christ choosing twelve disciples, and you know that representing the twelve tribes of Israel, and he's you know gathering a new people, mm -hmm. right? So um, just kind of like something I touched on in the beginning, uh, Ezekiel can be like many parts I think of the Old Testament um, can contain language that. Uh, you know, if we don't understand the context and, you know, we don't understand um, the genre of the book, right, that it can it can be it can be lost on us. Right. We can totally take it out of context and, uh, you know, uh, uh, end up with a dualist type, uh, you know, um, um, not the full story. Right. Not, yeah. So, um, Tina, can you tell can you help us with some like helpful reading strategies that we can use as we navigate Ezekiel that will, you know, help us to place it in its correct place in the story. Yeah, I think AC might have some bigger picture tips on this, but okay. I have some really specific ones. Sure. Um, and this was actually, this comes straight out of my ESV study Bible in the front when it talks about the l different literary styles, which is super helpful, guys. I've been really leaning on those lately. Uh, so it so this is, Ezekiel is a series of oracles. All so right. you're hearing all these different oracles, and they're not necessarily trying to lead up to this big thing. It's not like this horrible happened and then it added to this one and this one. They're, they're just separate words from God and prophetic actions that come out of those. 
So it's really helpful to know when the oracles start and finish and the purpose of them individually. Mm. And that helps us kind of organize them in our mind a little better. So one really helpful thing is whenever these oracles start, the words are always the word of the Lord came to me or the hand of the Lord being upon Ezekiel. Mm. And so when you read that, you know, a new oracle starting. And then a closing is they shall know that I am the Lord. So you know that that oracle is kind of finishing up. Right. And that closing is also um, directly speaks to the purpose of these oracles in the book as a whole is that God is revealing that he is the Lord. He is restoring his glory in all of Israel because Israel has defamed his name in the midst of the nations. And so we see that there is this purpose tied up in all of these. And then that gives us the structure to kind of understand where they are. And then another thing is within the oracles, those kind of um, almost are like a frame too, like a picture frame. And then within the oracle itself, there's a because therefore structure. So it says because of this, therefore this. So then we also see that the oracles in and of themselves show us the purpose of why something's happening or why God's revealing that. So it just helps us to kind of um, get connect with the individual pieces themselves. Got it. Got it. AC, do you have any uh, uh, just helpful strategies to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I got what I like to call the four Ps. You know, place. Always keep in mind where Ezekiel fits into the biblical story. What place does it have? And we talked about that. Um, the purpose, always keeping in mind the overall purpose of the book. And, you know, Tina talked about that. And those things are so important because it's easy to talk about it and listen to it now on the podcast. But then when you actually open your Bible and you read a few chapters and then day two, day three, and you're six days into Ezekiel, it's easy to get bogged down into the details. Um, and the prophets, because of the way they're written, in our culture, in Western culture, we like the prophets more than we like the law. We like reading the prophets. Yeah. But we have a tendency to like cherry pick verses and divorce them from their context. So always keep in mind the back of your mind, the peripheral of your vision, the place and the purpose. But then another couple of things um, are posture, you know. And so this is how are you reading it? You know, we're, we're, we're so quick to think that we've heard something. And before, for example, if we're listening to a politician give a speech on television, we're already live tweeting and, and giving yeah. instant reactions oh, yeah. before they've even finished what they're That's saying. That's true. You That's know? true. Um, don't live tweet the Bible in your mind. <laughs> you know, yeah. Listen slowly, courteously, and patiently. Just like if somebody was sharing with you something very important, you would give them the, your full attention and you right. would listen and try to understand what's being said before you formulate your own ideas. So have that posture of just listening and asking, what, what happened here? What was going on here? And then finally, prayer and ask, just ask the Spirit to teach you. And, and what, what are you trying to say to us now today? That's what you said then to Israel. I get that now. But how does that speak to us today? And, and always incorporating prayer because, you know, we, we give lip service to prayer. But at the end of the day, one of the idols of our culture is humanism. And that's mm. the idea that we on our own by ourselves, yes. through our innovation, through our technology and our resources, we can accomplish anything. Right. And we apply that to reading the Bible. If I just have like the right podcast to listen to, the right mm. study Bible and the right tips and strategies, I can understand the Bible and know exactly what God is saying. But you've completely removed the spirit from that process. Yeah. And it's so true. You know, you look at our culture and the way that we you know intake information or response information it's like yeah before somebody's done we already have the opinion we already know what they're going to say we already know what the conclusions they're arriving at and i love that we can't treat the bible that that way you know we need to let the spirit inform us and you know take our you know take time to allow that to happen not just 
read something and think that we automatically understand it, right? So, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of read a couple verses out of Ezekiel 5 because, you know, just on the on the, on the the surface, they, they it seems so brutal. It seems so rough, right? So I'm just looking at Ezekiel 5, verse 14. I'm looking at towards the end of that verse, and you see God is saying uh, to Ezekiel, I will make you a ruin and reproach among the nations around you in the sight of all who pass by. You will be a reproach and a taunt, a warning and object of horror to the nations around you when I inflict, inflict punishment on you in anger and in wrath and with stinging rebuke. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I'll just read a couple more verses. When I shoot at you with my deadly and destructive arrows of famine, I will shoot to destroy you. I will bring more and more famine upon you and cut off your supply of food. I will send famine and wild beasts against you and they will leave you childless. Plague and bloodshed will sweep through you, and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Man, uh, you know, that, it seems harsh, right? It doesn't, yeah. for, for many that would say, well, you say your God is loving, well, what is this, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Tina, like, how do, what do we do with passages like that, that uh, describe this seemingly brutal judgment? Yeah, I think one important thing is to think about anger not in this, divorced like this angry God really distant from us way but to start with any emotions that we feel that are, are good emotions reflect God's character so whenever we're angry for the people we love mm -hmm. like that is a reflection of God and so mm -hmm. connecting those emotions I think is really important and re and almost you know we are humans because we bear God's image so in a sense like ref realizing that um, we can learn about God's character from what we experience too. Right. You know, He's right. not some distant, enigmatic like right. thing that we can cast whatever we want right. on Him. Uh, obviously, we don't want to create God into our image right. because right. we are broken people. Yes, yes. Um, but what we see in Scripture is that God deeply loves His world and all the creatures in it, and then He personally, in Jeremiah, He kept seeing that I am the God who sees, mm. um, and we see that even right at the beginning of the story um, when Abraham basically that terrible scene where Hagar is forced to sleep with him right, and, right. and then she's sent away sent with away. her son yeah. and, and he, she names God and says, he is the God who sees me. And so there's this theme throughout scripture that God sees the vulnerable, that mm. God sees the oppressed Definitely. and the marginalized. And he has his eyes and his heart upon them. And so he's a God that not only just sees them, but he intimately is upholding the universe and his people just with his word. And so he's so intimately involved that, his heart is just devastated by mm. these injustices. He expects it from people who don't know his law and his name and aren't, you know, living them with his presence in right. their midst. But his own people that were supposed yeah. to be the light, like, yeah. it is so devastating to him. And I think in the past, I've always kind of misunderstood this anger and been like, I don't get it, God. I thought you were loving. But as I read the Old Testament and the True Story Project, like, war, like book by book by book, and I, I feel the longness, like this steadfastness mm. of his love and patience through the story and then he over and over again sends the prophets to just say like warning after warning like this is coming guys like please repent right. like even in Ezekiel later on he says my heart is that none of you should die like I, I want you to repent right. and and so just real reading reading it all all together and recognizing that it is out of God's deep love for his world and everything in it that he, it Pain, is painstaking and heartbreaking to him that he he has to judge his own people in order to restore the hope of the world and the hope for restoration of all things. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I've heard it been said, like, you know, if God is 
righteous, right? He has to hate sin. You know, a lot of times we want we want God to hate sin a lot of times, but just not our sin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think yeah. just to, to add on to that, when we think about, like, imagine the unimaginably worst thing happening to your, to your son or right. your daughter, to your mom or to your wife. Like, I would sure as, I would hope that right. anger would well up in me. Right. Like, I would hope that there would be, like, this this anger against right. that injustice. And so we just see that God is the one who has the rightful, you know, righteous anger. Righteous, right. And he has the responsibility yeah. to do something about that sin. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, just reading through the True Story or just going through the True Story project has been so helpful in that, um, you know, understanding it as a full story because a lot of times, you know, you'll hear from uh, maybe people who don't believe and they'll throw these sort of things, mm, you know, or, yeah. or they'll pose these sort of questions at you. Well, you, this God you say is the loving God um, kills women and children or, you know, promises to wipe out of people. So mm -hmm. I think, Tina, you're, you're just spot on, you know, understanding the fullness of the story and seeing how uh, often God is like how many chances and yeah. how many, you know, how much patience he's had and these prophets he sent to speak to the people. It wasn't like, you know, yeah, you messed up today. You know, you're, 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 uh, you know, you're, you're wiped out, right? So that's not the picture of God we have, but we do have a God who, uh, you know, stands for justice, who is justice, who is just. And a, and a yeah. God who, who is on a mission, right? you know, right. like everything that we read in the Bible, we always have to trace it back to the overarching narrative. Yep. Like, our, how does this fit into the Bible as a whole? And so even when you look at judgment itself and when it occurs in the Bible, it's always connected to God's mission in the world right. to reconcile all things. I mean, look in the beginning, he tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What do they do? Hmm. They they gather in one city in Babel, and they're like, nah, we're going to hold up right oh, here, right. and we're going to do our purposes, right. make a name for ourselves, and have nothing to do with God. So what does God do? He puts judgment on the Tower of Babel, yep. and he separates the people. What does that do? Then that opens up the door and sets the scene for God to be able to call Abram to leave Babylon uh, and to come and to begin this right. mission. Later on, you know, God wants to use a people to display his glory to all the nations, but there's an issue. His people are slaves in Egypt, and Egypt won't let them go. Right. They are oppressing them, and they will not let them go. So God judges Egypt, and that opens the door for the next part in redemptive history for his people to be in the land. But now they're in the land, and they're doing idolatry and injustice, <laughs> yeah. and they're not fulfilling what they're <laughs> supposed to be doing. So what does God have to do? God judges them, sends them into exile, but then what happens? That opens the door for them to start waiting for the Messiah and waiting for a kingdom and waiting for a new covenant. And that opens the door for Jesus to come in. And then ultimately, he takes the judgment of God upon himself on the cross so that we don't have to experience judgment, you know. And then we look forward to the end of days when it says in Matthew 25, all the nations are going to be gathered before him. Right. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to judge all nations. And there's going to be a, a final judgment. But what is that going to open up the door to? It's going to open up the door for a new creation and, and to live in a world where everything is the way it's supposed to be. So judgment always plays a role and it fits into God's overall mission. I love that. Um, you know, just kind of taking a step back to realize, like, yeah, what's the overarching uh, mission at play? And, like, along the mission, there have been these roadblocks and obstacles. But, you know, God is still on his mission and is working, you know, through people and uh, to, to continue that mission. All right. So, uh, you know, next thing I kind of want to ask you guys, you know, it's always sort of a touchy uh, subject given the geopolitical uh, uh, ramifications, right? So, Jerusalem, um, it's described as, in, in the true story it's, it's as a city that's set in the center of the nation. It was set apart 
um, to to be this to be a, a light of, to the world. All right. Um, what did that mean for Israel then? And does that actually have implications for us today? And uh, I'll let AC if you want to just start on that and I'll kick it to you, Tina. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great verse, Ezekiel 5, 5, that Jerusalem set in the center of the nations with countries all around. Yeah. Um, and I think what's being done there is what we were just talking about, that Israel had the privilege and responsibility hmm. to live life in such a way that they made God known to the world around them. So their calling and their failure to live up to it were on public display. And in the same way, so are we as the church, right. the community of God's people. We are on display. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 5, to let your light so shine that people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Mm. You know, what does it mean to be the church? It doesn't mean to be inward focused, which is so often what we do is we turn church into something that's about me. Oh, Definitely. It's our culture. It's, in, yeah. it's embedded in our culture. You know? And what's crazy, yeah. and I'm guilty of this right. because I'm super introvert, yeah. is we'll treat church like the movie theater Whew. where you're sitting with a bunch of strangers to watch an entertaining presentation. Wow. It's not about um, the world and, and the people right. around us. And so we don't even talk. There will be newcomers who come to our church and no one has eyes to see them Yeah, because we're so focused on... I want to get fed. I want to get fed. And, and speaking about getting fed, even like, so Ricardo teaches the Bible. That That's a core part of our worship. Right. But why? It's not just so that we can get fat and full. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's yeah. so that we can go tell other people. And feed others. Man, yeah, this, food yeah. this food is good. This food is good. Exactly. Communion. Communion is not just so that I can enjoy like my private individual forgiveness. Wow. But so that I can be empowered and enabled to go out and live the gospel in the community, to be reminded of the covenant, to be reminded of my forgiveness and, and how great that is and the desire to see that spread throughout the whole world. You know, so even the way we do church, I mean, the way we do family, I hear this all the time, like, um, and I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not a parent, so a lot of people are not listen to what I have to say, but I'm just going to rip off what Goheen says. He's a parent, right? A grandparent. <laughs> a parent, yeah. But a lot of people will say, you know, I just want my kids to be happy. I just want my kids to be happy. As if, like, the number one goal in parenting is to ensure, like, a life of individual happiness for the child. Wow. So are we leaving a legacy of individual consumerism for our kids? Or do we see that, like, in Deuteronomy, there was two warnings that God gave his people that would lead to the downfall of their calling. And number one, we've talked about a lot is idolatry. Mm. The other one is the failure to pass on the faith to the next generation, That's right. which is why they make such a big deal about repeating the word and teaching the word. Right. And when you lie, you get a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, tell the story. All exactly. Right. Retell the story. And so as a family, what are we doing? You know what mm. I mean? Like with our kids, are we letting social media and society shape them and maybe give them a little Sunday school on, uh, on Sundays? Wow. Or are we taking the time and the effort and the sacrifice to form them and shape them? Like, like I said, I'm going to rip off of Goheen. Some of the things he did was realize that technology is such a powerful tool oh, that shapes us. Definitely. You know, social media gives you a window into the rest of the world. And other people who you've never even seen before or allowed into your living room can be shaping the way your children view the world. So one thing that Goheen did was like, all right, if you're going to use technology, what you have to do first is write down on a piece of paper, why am I getting on the internet? 
Why am I using this? Why am yeah. I using that? You know, when his kids would watch cartoons and want to watch TV, he'd make them say uh, at every commercial. Yeah. They had to say out loud so the parents could hear. Who do you think you're kidding? Right. Because he viewed commercials and advertisements as the prophets of the religion of consumerism. Whew. You know, so and a lot of that stuff might sound crazy and it may sound weird. Oh, it's true. But yeah, it's like again, Jerusalem was set in the center of the nations. We as a church, we we are a city set on a hill. Our light can't be hidden. We are witnesses. But like Ricardo said in the sermon a couple weeks ago, are we good witnesses or are we bad witnesses? Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you just hearing you say that, AC, honestly, it's convicting, you know, because I and I just think it's so important that we understand and uh, um, that we understand and that we, we see the idols of our culture, of consumerism, of humanism, because they really do. Uh, a plague the way we, we 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 do we evangelize right the way that we play or put our part in our the way that we play our part into the mission right it's yeah. it's 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 scary yeah you know how how influential social media is or just even the way like you said you know we go to communion and you know we take our communion and we just put ourselves within this small little space it's just like another quiet time for us yeah right you know instead of like understand like this is the community the corporate fellowship and you know just kind of feeding off what goheen said too like even the way we read the bible you know we have the 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 blessing or privilege of having a personal bible but mm -hmm. i mean the printing press was you know it came later on right and so how was scripture read before it was done corporately right mm -hmm. so this whole indiv individualistic uh way that we that we uh you know live our faith is not something that's always been done you know it's been new and we need to recognize those idols of our culture and uh uh you know speak and act against them whenever whenever we do um tina do you have anything to add to that yeah i think a couple implications yeah. and specifically pushing back against idols yeah. but just things that are just really evident um throughout the biblical story that apply to us today is first of all i think one way to press back against consumerism is to create because in consumerism, we're just mindlessly consuming right. things that other people created. And we're not even thinking twice about right. the hands that made it or any of these things, you know? It's just like maybe a quick prayer, thank you for the hands that made this food, amen, you know? But when we create something, we experience kind of the complexity of, of trying to, let's say when we create art, like when you create music, right. Warren, you're, you're taking in the beauty and the brokenness in the world, yeah. and, and you're seeing it for what it is, and you're trying to express it in a way that is that is enjoyable but provocative um somehow beautiful in the midst of brokenness it is this this really beautiful dance that we press back against this just easy consumerism yeah. and we oh, yeah. start to embody um, the creative nature of god and just his faithfulness to act in creation even in the midst of hard right. things so i think that's one thing is to continue to create art and just to create within whatever context we're in oh yeah that's good um, I think another thing when we're we're talking about family and um, and consumerism and how these things intersect, I think one thing is that the bedrock of the family, you know, sex is the means right. through which God wanted to perpetuate and create families. Right. Now I'm not saying that you you know you can't have sex unless you're intending to have children, but but there is this there's this nature about the becoming one flesh and mm -hmm. how God created it to be mm -hmm. this. Um, this beautiful expression of his faithfulness to us and also our faithfulness to his covenant and obedience to how he designed the world to be and how he designed us to be in relationship 
And so when we just, when we make pleasure um, and consuming goods and experiences yeah. as our utmost good, uh-huh. we treat sex as this thing to be consumed and wow. just to be, to be used for our own pleasure. And so I think it's, it's really important. I mean, it is just expected now that if you're dating someone for, I don't know, a month, you move yeah. in with them. Like, yeah. at least in the, where I work, it's just like normal. Where, right. You're where looking you at move. strange if that's not the case. Like, you know, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. what exactly. Like guys, people, yeah, yeah people weird. ask you, right. why aren't you living together? Right. And then if you dare to say, well, we don't sleep together, right. then it's like, uh, what? Like yeah. they will literally look at you cross Right, 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 right. And so I think when we talk about prophetic actions and these things that seem crazy, like this is something that seems crazy to the world around us and even to others in in the professed Christ like well if you're committed to one another if you're engaged or whatever it is it's okay but we are confessing and representing with our actions that God is the only God on our throne and that we're not bowing down to these idols of pleasure above that and that leads into into create like when you enter into that covenant in that way and obviously there's so much grace in that but when we enter into a covenant trusting ourselves to god only then we do create a family on the bedrock of um this vision that we exist for others and so we see that god had one son and and that relationship was perfect the trinity was perfect it didn't need anything but he put his own son in danger mm-hmm. and sacrificed that perfect relationship the harmony that was there forever in order to open up his family, the most intimate relationships oh, to yeah. all of us. And so when we think about, we see across the redemption community in Phoenix, people entering into this um, foster care and adoption crisis oh, and people yeah. entering into foster care. I think this is a wonderful prophetic act where people say, I have my family, um, but I'm willing to open up this intimate community in order to include those who are overlooked, who are fatherless, who who are in situations where they just need to be cared for. Um, And and we represent God's character where it's out of the outpouring of his love where he includes um, the fatherless into his family. So I think that's another way that that we can embody it today. Yeah, so I mean, um, whether we're, you know, as the church and the, you know, the new Israel or the the ones who are called to live distinctly in the present day, um, I think just wrapping it up, it's just important that we understand the idols of our culture um, uh, that we don't let them uh, uh, that we we understand and that we don't allow them to uh, dictate you know how we live out our faith and also um, seeing the brokenness whether it be like you said in adoption or homelessness or whatever it is and looking to be those instruments of restoration you know that's a constant theme uh, throughout scripture and it is our calling today our mission our calling today as we seek out how to be a distinct people um so i hope that we've been able to clarify some things in ezekiel and um you know i just want to thank tina and ac um that's all we have time for today and we'll see you next time